0: And welcome to the Training Ground Podcast with your host, Kevin Barry. In this episode, Kevin is speaking with Adam Parr. Adam is an assistant strength and conditioning specialist with the MLS team, Minnesota United. Today, they'll be discussing his internship experience with EXOS, formerly Core Performance, why he chose to study sports science and strength and conditioning, his coaching journey into the MLS, key metrics to know regarding GPS data, and what training in the off-season looks like. Adam, I appreciate you coming on the Training Ground podcast today. Thank you. Uh, thank you very
1: much for having me. It's a pleasure to be on.
0: I know it's a little bit quieter this time of year in the off season for you and your personal role, but um, just taking that a step back a little bit, um, when did you first get involved in soccer and kind of what was the impetus for that?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I played soccer my entire life, to be honest, from the time I was a kid. I think I, I first began playing when I was six. Um, and then quickly a few years into it, I wanted to, you know, moving up the levels, um, in youth soccer and playing, you know, to basically a competitive level. Um, that was before the Academy system even hit the, the States. Um, so there wasn't the ability for that, but, uh, you know, going to playing in national tournaments and stuff like that, traveling uh, around. Uh, um, and then once I got into uh, high school, the high school I went to was actually a national powerhouse. Um, and that was back when. You know, uh, a lot of people were still very much into high school soccer because, again, the academy system hadn't been uh, developed yet. And so we were a national powerhouse. And actually, my senior year of, of high school, we went going undefeated and we were ranked uh, number one in the nation. Um, so we wound up being national champions, which was a great experience for me to be part of a, a team that, you know, won a high school national championship, so to speak.
0: When you were playing in high school, did it ever cross your mind to play in college or what were some of your teammates looking at?
1: Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, because we won, we we were ranked number one, uh, pretty much all my teammates in high school, everyone was getting recruited to most of the top colleges. And, uh, and I was definitely looking at a few, but I I decided not to play as a personal choice. Like I said, um, I was a little burnt out on it, to be honest. And then also, uh, had some severe concussions, um, while I was playing in in high school and kind of just felt like, my role that what I wanted to do was be more of the team behind the team. Um, and so Mm -hmm. when I went to school initially, my undergrad was in kinesiology and I was focusing on physical therapy because I wanted to be a physical therapist for, for a team and um and then obviously that has changed since but it was always kind of the idea because even though i wasn't playing i still i never lost my love uh, for the game and i wanted to be a part of it no matter what what, what i did um and so yeah now I'm, I'm really excited that i've been able to to be working in pro soccer for a little while now and um be kind of achieved that goal of being part of the team behind the team and helping guys to really perform at their highest level and still be part of the game um, at such a high level has been, you know, a blessing for me. So um, no complaints on, on me not playing in college.
0: Absolutely. No, it's clear. You have a pure love for the game. Um, looking at some of the roles you have been at. Um, can you talk about some of the roles prior to your current position at Minnesota United? So um, my understanding is you got some great experience when you were in undergraduate, graduate school, Um, working in uh, semi-professional, professional professional
1: soccer? Yeah, so I um, originally, like I said, I did an undergraduate in kinesiology um, at at San Diego State University. And then right out of the gate from there, I actually wound up shortly afterwards doing an internship with uh, this company called Exos. Um, Back then it was Core Performance, uh, and they, they now, I mean, they serve hundreds of places across the world and a lot of big time, uh, teams across the world. And back then I got a little bit of experience, uh, with the U S national team. They came in, uh, I was 2010 before the 2010 world cup to do some of their, um, screen, screening assessments and stuff like that and kind of was able to see what that was like in the training. Um, and then shortly after that, about a year after that, I wound up actually getting an internship with, um, Chivas USA, which is a team that used to be in major league soccer. Uh, those of you who don't know Major League Soccer that that well or aren't as familiar with Chivas USA, they were the previous iteration before LAFC. Um, The LAFC owners bought their rights and everything and then folded that team and then rebranded them as LAFC. Um, And so I got experience working there uh, for about a season and a half. uh, And that was fantastic. I was a sports science intern. For them part time, you know, several days a week, really uh, focusing on all all the sports science stuff, Um, especially back then it was heart rate more so than GPS because GPS hadn't really hit the US uh, hard then. And yeah, it just exposed me to this whole world of what sports science was um, that I hadn't really learned about in in school. And so and then on top of that, I got to be in a professional team environment, um, you know, at a fairly young age and kind of be exposed to that and what it's like working in day in, day out. Um, and, and what it takes to be successful, not only um, for the players, but also as a coach and, and as coaching staff. And so I was there for a year and a half and then went into the private sector for a while uh, and owned my own business uh, in the Beverly Hills area for that, doing some personal training and sport performance, uh, but really had the itch to get back in the team setting. And I wound up deciding I wanted to do a master's uh, degree in something that was had a lot of sports science focus. Um, but also some strength conditioning. Uh, so I wound up doing it through Australian Catholic university. And I got a master's in high performance sport, which is basically combining uh, sports science and strength conditioning. And th- through that, one of the options that you could do is you could do an industry internship and somebody that I had worked with at Chivas was now the head athletic trainer for the San Jose earthquakes and MLS. And they wound up, um, I, I ran into him at a sports science conference and um, connected again. And he basically, Told me that they needed a strength coach and a sports scientist with their uh, USL, um, which is second division team in in Reno, um, which was their affiliate. And I could go there and basically run an entire department, and we'll call it an internship, basically. And they would provide housing and everything for me. So it was a no brainer. So I jumped in on that. I uh, finished out the season with them. I came in about halfway through the season, um, and that, and then was hired full on the, for the following year. So I was the head of strength conditioning and data analytics. Um, And I wound up, you know, just like I did in the internship, but even more once I was hired, doing everything, which was, you know, all of the fitness, all the gym work, all the sports science, you know, even nutrition, supplements, everything, you know, because at a lower level, you know, there's not much of a budget. So you you have a very small staff. Um, And so I was able to get a lot of experience with that. And it was a wonderful, wonderful time because I was still finishing my master's. So a lot of things I was learning, I could literally take and apply the very next day. Um, which was fantastic uh, for me growing as a practitioner. And then after two seasons there, I wound up uh, getting the opportunity to go to Minnesota. And so I wound up moving to Minnesota about a year ago. And this was my first year with the team. And obviously uh, 2020 was, was a wild year. So it was, it was mm-hmm. an interesting time to be back in MLS for the first time in a while. And also uh, with all the roles that I wound up having to do and, and the success that we got as a team. So it was definitely a fun ride.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when you were working at your undergraduate level, it seems you were kind of at the forefront of, you know, some of the sports science and strength condition, um, as, as well as kind of the interaction between both. Was that a conscious decision for you to pursue the master's looking at, you know, where we are as a field now? Um, could you see that explosion kind of waiting to happen
1: Yes, absolutely. Like 100%. That was a, a huge reason why I chose the program that I chose. Because like I said, when I was working uh, and, and interning at Chivas USA, that was my first exposure to sports science because they didn't really discuss it much during my undergrad, even though I had a, a really good undergrad program at San Diego State. Um, it was just more focused on you know general kinesiology and very much pushes people to go into physical therapy or occupational therapy or whatnot. Um, and so I didn't have much exposure to the sports science side until I wound up getting the internship and they said, this is what you're going to do. You're going to you know, manage this whole uh, heart rate program, all of the data, you know, the performance stuff that we're doing. And we're going to look at it from that side, creating reports and, and basically helping the coaching staff uh, to make their decisions. And so that opened my eyes to a lot of that. And then a lot of the research and things like that coming out. And so once I did decide, yes, that I wanted to do a masters, I didn't want to just go get a master's in general kinesis or general exercise science, or even, Uh, strength conditioning. Um, you know, those are all fantastic programs that are out there and whatnot, but I felt like I really wanted something that had a sports science focus, especially with the data, um, and the analysis, interpretation, the data visualization, things like that, that would help me to kind of catch up on a lot of the stuff that I had missed out on over the years, especially once I went in the private sector for a while. Um, so I did the program at ACU and can't speak highly enough of it. Uh, it was fantastic. and I, I learned so much um, and really kind of set the stage for where I'm at now. If I hadn't have gone through that program, I, I wouldn't be where I am now with all that I learned and then all, all the stuff I had to put in practice. Um, and then everything that has happened since then is definitely uh, attributed to wanting to have that sports science focus as part of my master's
0: a fantastic decision on your end because even now i see people that have master's degrees and the biggest thing is they don't have that practical experience or you know they don't know um when they're on the field or how to change some practice loads and things like that um for anybody that's kind of unfamiliar with the distinctions between different roles in a high performance setting um can you explain some of the differences between you know what a strength coach is versus a fitness coach or what sports science is in general?
1: Yeah, I think, uh, obviously it varies from club to club, um, or from team to team, every, every role is different. You know, a sports scientist at one club can do things completely different than what they have to do at a different club. Um, and so you have to kind of keep that in mind, but generally speaking, at least with my club, um, you know, when I was initially hired, I was hired on the strength coach. Um, and then Obviously had, we had some craziness of 2020 and some people leaving and I wound up taking on the roles of the head fitness coach and the sports scientist. So for us, um, as far as a strength coach goes, you know, I was responsible for planning and implementing the gym program uh, for the team, you know, throughout the year. So creating the annual plan, you know, periodizing it, um, but then also the individualization with the players as well when possible. Um, and then also responsible for Planning and implementing the, the pre-training activation sessions that we would do for the team every day. Um, so I would lead them through a kind of a pre-training uh, session to before we went out on the field. Um, and then also, you know, being responsible for the physical performance testing and the evaluation of all the players. And then from um, a head fitness coach standpoint, the, the role that I had and from the club was, you know, planning and implementing obviously the fitness program for the team. Um, which is you know based on fitness testing and things like that. Individual uh, max aerobic speed scores is what I like to go with, um, and then doing individual fitness sessions with certain players when they needed it when they're coming back from certain things. Um, but especially also you know leading the, the top offs as we call them. So uh, at the end of training, if somebody needs extra sprint or extra high speed running or whatever, um, you know, kind of leading the players through that, and then also you know taking all of the on field warm ups both before training and the matches. Um, and then also from a bigger standpoint, you know, planning the training sessions with the coaching staff um, from a physical performance perspective. So, you know, going in, you know daily, talking to them, you know, obviously taking in a lot of the, the data from the sports science side, but um, you know, talking about weekly periodization, where are we at, what do we want to achieve, you know, tomorrow, the next day, you know, from a, from a physical perspective, you know, is tomorrow going to be a bigger day? Do we want to focus on more high speed running? Do we, do we need to get, that high, you know, high-speed running, sprinting, et cetera, or are we going to shrink it down and make it smaller because we want to, you know, increase the intensity and, and have a lot of excels and D cells, you know, things like that. Just working with the coaching staff as far as the periodization throughout the week. Um, and then from a sports science standpoint, wh- what I wound up doing, uh, is managing all of the data that's collected as far as the performance, um, side. And then, you know, not only just, Managing it and collecting it, but analyzing and interpreting it, uh, especially the GPS, uh, to monitor the players' health, you know, the well-being, performance overall. You know, working with the medical staff and the athletic trainers to, uh, regarding any red flags that the players might have from the data. If, if anyone's at risk for overtraining or detraining, you know, and. In, in, Specific metrics, things like that, uh, if they need to be held out for certain things or if we need to do top ops, you know, just talking with them over that, um, especially with return to play uh, where they're at with with that. Um, And then also, you know, monitoring, helping manage weekly workloads for all the players. Uh, And then lastly, creating a a daily training report for the coaching staff that basically sums up the training for that day and shows all the all the key metrics for every single player for that day. And then also kind of making recommendations as far as what we need to do next, um, how we need to plan the next day, the next few days is from from a periodization standpoint.
0: Okay, so when you're looking at some GPS data, uh, I do have some experience, but. Like we were talking about previously, it's really becoming to forefront now. Semi-professional teams, even a lot of college teams, yeah. are starting to work with GPS. And um, for somebody that's unfamiliar with, you know, what they're looking at, because you can get lost in the sea of data. What are some of the key
1: metrics that
0: an inexperienced coach or somebody just starting out should look at?
1: Yeah, I think it's a very good point. It's it's really easy to get you know lost in the weeds. I, I say in the minutiae, especially when it comes to data. My whole thing, the way I try to approach it, and the, and the recommendations that I have for, for people who you know don't have as much experience, is try and keep it as simple as possible. You know, until there's a very good understanding by all the, the coaches, the players, and the staff. Um, and so, for us, you know, from from a simple standpoint, the, the key metrics that we really look at on a regular basis, you know, there's the volume-based metrics, which for us are you know total distance um, high speed running distance, sprint distance, things like that. Um, and then there's intensity based, um, excuse me, metrics. So number of sprints, number of excels, number of D cells, number of explosive efforts, you know, things like that. And, you know, from that you can get a really good snapshot of what the training was like or the game or anything like that. And, and using those metrics to, of go through the season whether you're looking at acute to chronic workload ratios you know weekly accumulated loads things like that whatever stuff you're looking at from from an evidence-based standpoint you know you can keep it to that seven, eight, nine, ten 10 metrics that are really key on a regular basis and then as you start to understand those more then you can kind of look into some of the some of the other metrics that are a little bit bigger than that that you know maybe aren't going to be something that you're going to look at every single day but you can just start kind of dipping your toes in. But if you can just focus on those, like I said, seven, eight, nine, 10, you know, key metrics, I think, um, and really understanding them, then that will do a world of good, you know, for you and your players and your team.
0: Mm-hmm. Have you been able to use some of those metrics to kind of reverse engineer the off-season program to individualize down by position?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, for us this year, you know, the, the off-season wasn't very, isn't very long because we wound up, you know, going pretty far in the playoffs, which is great. Um, and so for the fitness-based stuff, I like to design the offseason more, not necessarily as far as there are total distances that I want to, I want them to hit each week. I make sure that within, uh, the week's training program for them, that they're hitting certain distances. And especially with like high speed running distances or sprint there, as we get closer and closer, I want to increase the intensity. Um, and so there are, certain metrics that I'm more interested in, but it's not necessarily the amount of distance because I'm not with the players. And so all I can do is rely on them to actually do it and tell me that they're doing it, you know, and actually, and do it as opposed to, you know, I don't, I didn't give them any sort of GPS or anything like that this year, just because the the off season was going to be so short for the most part. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for us, it was more so having them maintain uh, where they were at because it was a short off season because we did go so long in the playoffs. Um, but in a normal off season, yeah, it would be something that I would look into a little bit more as far as what I want to do week in, week out um, and start to get more, you know, start with a lot of volume and then obviously decrease volume and increase intensity as you get closer and closer to preseason.
0: Love it. I appreciate the insight on that. Uh, a big part of the season was played in Orlando when you were inside the bubble. Can you talk about, um, obviously beforehand, You you have your idea of periodization and what you want to do, but... Uh, there were some limitations down there as far as um as far as um how many games you were playing and the turnaround time and even limitations with equipment so how was that experience for you
1: yeah i mean obviously as as everybody knows this this year was difficult no matter what role or league you are playing in uh but for us it started just with you know after 2 weeks of the season the league was shut down and we were under lockdown um and so initially just planning home workouts for the guys and most of the guys had no equipment whatsoever. So, you know, obviously doing body body weight is not necessarily ideal for professional athletes. And then, so we had to do body weight for about a month and then we were able to get them some lighter weights at least. So they had some sort of load and kind of program that for a month or six weeks. And then once we were able to get back, even to, to training and full team training, we still couldn't even use a gym right away because our state of Minnesota had some of the strictest regulations as far as gym use. And so we weren't even able to do that. Uh, And then once we were able to use a gym, you know, we had about three weeks to get ready for the Orlando tournament. So obviously that's, that's not an ideal kind of preseason, so to speak. Um, So I I really just focused on getting them back up to a strength base, you know, um, not necessarily doing max strength, just basic because they had gone months between really lifting, you know, heavier loads. So I wasn't trying to just crush them. It was more just giving them some, some overall strength. And then once we moved into the Orlando tournament, uh, really just doing simple power during the tournament to keep the guys fresh, you know, as fresh as possible. And because we were rotating a lot of players as well. Um, But within the Orlando tournament, you know, there was constraints that we had, gym and there were a bunch of gyms down at the orlando tournament but you shared it with two other teams so you had timing times every day that you had access to the gym and the league just kind of rolled them over and planned them you know and then you had specific times that you could go and train also because you had a, a field that you shared with another team and so there were time and, and the same thing they just rolled it over and said okay this to this week you're going to have these times for training and these times for the gym but sometimes they overlap. So you couldn't even use it and there was nothing you could do. And so it was really about planning. What, what can we do? When can we do it? You know, what's going to be the most effective. Um, and I think for the guys having those gym sessions, even though they were just really kind of focused on simple power and whatnot, really helped with giving them something extra to do because we were just locked in a, in a hotel resort, you know, we couldn't leave other than going to training or to go, go to games. And so giving them something to do. It was something for them to look forward to, which was great because it helped me to get a lot of buy-in uh, because they wanted to go in there and work hard. Um, and I think that showed and that kind of transferred over once we got out of Orlando, because once we got out of Orlando and we were back in Minnesota for the regular season, you know, we still had regulations in the state and I had to separate players into small lifting groups for their gym work. And obviously we had the most fixture congestion, you know, ever in a a season once we got back. So that's, it wasn't ideal. So it would have been really easy for the guys to just say, you know, what I don't want to do this anymore. I'm not, or not, not be into it, but because we were able to get a lot of uh, motivation and and really get them into it in in Orlando, it carried over, uh, which was great. So the guys were willing to do whatever they needed to do. Um, And, you know, with the schedule, we didn't really have any real, we had hardly any real training weeks. You know, most of the times it was play a game Day off, then recover, then match day minus one, then play again, and then repeat. Uh, And so, you know, not ideal obviously from a training standpoint on the field, but also in the gym. Uh, So I generally tried to have two gym sessions per week if possible not always ideal or not always feasible. I mean, uh, but, and then also I'd separate in groups. So the guys who had played heavy minutes, you know, maybe they don't need to do one of the workouts, or I just want you to do one set of everything, you know, almost to facilitate some recovery. Whereas the guys who didn't play, you know, you're going to do the whole thing so that you're getting a good load, things like that, trying to manage it, you know, and different times and different players. And, and it was definitely, you had, we had to get creative. We had to create almost a second gym out on our turf area indoor because we could only have four guys working out at the same time based on our, our uh, regulations. And so we had four on one gym, Created another gym out outside or on the turf. I mean, so that we could actually have eight people at the same time, but we weren't breaking any regulations and, you know, things like that, just really getting creative. And I, I think it was a challenge, but it also helped me grow as a practitioner, like a hundred percent, because, um, you know, like I said, you had to get creative and, and really do things differently than you normally would. And, the things that you learn in, in classes or reading research or you know talking to other people in the industry um you know it, it was just very different and i'm thankful that i was able to go through it because i hopefully um any other season from here on out is going to be a heck of a lot easier than 2020 was
0: i hope so um there's definitely some things you can carry forward into uh this off season and into your next preseason for sure um well you've into a new role this year Um, you've worked with a lot of different teams over the years Um, when you see an athlete for the first time is there any kind of screens or questionnaires or movements you'd like them to perform or just to get an idea of the kind of person you're working with
1: yeah I mean I think I've been lucky uh, that I've worked with you know some really great people both on the performance side but also especially on the medical side and, you know, generally most of the places that I've been, the athletic trainers and our medical staff do most of the screening, um, uh, just as far as imbalances and, and weaknesses and things like that, for the most part, as far as just, you know, basic screens. So I, I usually don't, I, I let them do that because, uh, that's, that's more in their wheelhouse. Um, and so what I like to do is I, I try and keep it simple as far as the physical performance side. And I'll do some three rep max tests in the gym. Uh, especially, you know, I always do trap bar deadlift because that's that's usually part of my program for most of the year in some facet. Uh, and so I want to get a sense of where the guys are at for that. But then I also will use that to program percentages and things when I'm doing certain blocks or certain phases where I want to use the percentages. Um, and then, you know, sometimes we'll do squats, sometimes we'll do bench, the other things. It just depends on the, the, the person um, or what we're going to have planned for the, for the team coming forward. But then also I always do Nordboard for eccentric hamstring strength. Uh, And I think that is invaluable. I try and test the guys, you know, not only the first day of preseason, but also, you know, once every four to six weeks, depending on our schedule, you know, all throughout the season, just to to get a general sense of where their eccentric hamstring strength is, you know, if there are any imbalances, weaknesses, things like that. And then same thing, we use the groin bar for adductor, abductor strength. Uh, And again, testing that season, but then also every four to six weeks to again just to see the kind of trend throughout the the season to make sure guys aren't you know losing too much uh, and are not getting to the point where there's going to be red flags where they're below certain thresholds that we want them to be that where there's you know higher injury risk and so things like that and then i'll do stuff simple power thing like a broad jump you know i'm a big fan of that because it's such a simple power exercise but you can measure that it's, it's easily replicable throughout the season again, to test and see how their, their powers going. Obviously I I didn't have access to force plates, but if I had access to force plates, you know, I would do some jump testing as well to measure, you know, certain power aspects, but RSI peak force, things like that. Um, But yeah, I I try and keep it pretty simple uh, because I know uh, from a player's standpoint, they don't like to just go through a battery of tests, you know, a huge battery. It just gets, you know, they, they, they stop, from my standpoint, they stop really trying to perform well in them and they just try to get through it. And then it's you're not really getting good data in that standpoint. So if I can do three, four, five instead of ten, you know, I do that anytime.
0: That makes sense. So the tests you do, they really drive your performance programming going forward. It's not just we're testing just to get the test in.
1: Exactly. And like from the Nordboard and the groin bar standpoint. If there we see weaknesses or anything, then okay, then we then that helps me to address it right away. Myself and, and our athletic trainers, our medical staff will get together and you know create a prehab program for them to do before training, before the pre train activations. But then also it allows me to know okay, I'm also going to add some hamstring specific exercises for this person individually or some adductor exercises and, and not just what you know I have generally set out. And so, um, again, like you said, it, it drives my program forward and it's not just collecting data to collect data.
0: Absolutely. Great point. Do you work with the academy program at all? Is there any interaction there or are you just with the first team?
1: No, I'm, I'm just with the first team. So we, we didn't have an academy strength coach this year. Uh, and then because of 2020 and the changeover from the USDA to now the MLS is next, I think, um, our academy kind of shut down for a little while, and then you know re- is like rebooting. Um, and so I think I'm sure I'll have some say in it, and also some a little bit more um, working with the academy here and there. I did a few things this year when they were you know at home during lockdown, and, and created some programs and things like that, just general stuff for them to do because they didn't have anyone that was able to give them guidance. But generally speaking, my role for right now has just been just with the first team.
0: Awesome. Okay. Uh, last question for you. And and this one really is a big picture item uh, because you have worked across a lot of different aspects with um, private training or personal training into the team sport. Is there anything you learned from that one-on-one or private environment that you've been able to implement in a team setting that some coaches might not be aware of?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, before coming into this role and, and before even the role in Reno, I, I was lucky that I had the... Experience as the intern in MLS, you know, years ago. So I kind of knew what to expect and how to operate and be successful as a coach, you know, thanks to my former mentor who I worked for, Jim Liston, uh, when I was at Chivas. But once when I le- went into the private setting, and then once I was coming back, you know, I originally thought that my period away from the team setting and in the private sector was was going to be a barrier. Um, because there are not too many people who do that. You know, a lot of times you hear people go in the opposite way. They've been in the team setting for a while and they want to go in the private sector. Um, but so I was a little more, I was just a little uh, uneasy about how I was going to be able to translate everything back to the team setting. But, you know, and I've come to realize that it actually was a, it has been a huge advantage for me to have had several years running that business and, and especially in the private setting, doing the one-on-one trainings, whether it's personal training or, or performance training or one-on-twos, you know, whatever it is. Uh, because when you're doing that, when you're in that setting, you know, you have to keep the, the client engaged the entire time, you know, for the most part. So you're talking to them a lot, you know, obviously you get to know them on a personal level because you are seeing them multiple times a week for months or years on end. Um, you know, I had clients that I, that I trained for five or six years. And so I really got to know them, you know, on a personal level, get to know their motivations, you know, their fears, their story, their backstory, you know, whatever it is. And just kind of really peel back the, the layers of the onion, so to speak, uh, and, and, get to know like who they really are. And I think, what i've done is i've been able to bring that into the team setting with my athletes both you know when i went to reno originally and then now here in minnesota um you know i'm a big fan of brett bartholomew's work with uh, the conscious coaching book that he wrote you know he's a he's a friend of mine i trained at the same gym as him for a while when he actually released that conscious coaching book and so i'm a big fan of that and all the stuff he does with the art of coaching website and I'm a big believer in a lot of stuff that that he preaches from a, from a psychological and and sociological standpoint. And I really try to get to know my athletes, you know, on a personal level, you know, they're not just, they're not just soccer players, right. I'm not just a, a performance coach. Like there's a lot more to everybody other than what they do for, for a job. And so try to relate to them, you know, find out their why is something I like to do. You know, who, are they away from the game? You know, where do they come from? What do they enjoy? You know, and and again, just really try and find things to relate to um, because then you're able to kind of pick and choose certain things and use different motivational tactics to gain an overall buy in uh, from the players and then from the team overall. And I think my ability to do that this season uh, was a huge reason why I was able to get a lot of buy in, you know, and I think us being in Orlando in a, in a hotel, basically locked in the hotel for 40 days because we went to the the semis of that tournament really helped with that because I could just pull guys aside after lunch or after dinner or, you know, they come into the gym early and just have conversations with them. Not not necessarily anything about training. Or if they ask me a question at training, then I can say, okay, let's talk after lunch or let's meet in in the lounge and go over this. And just, again, kind of just peel back the layers and get to know what, what are they interested in? Why they want to know this? You know, what, what's their overall end game with their career with what they do they want to go into coaching? Do they want to, you know, all sorts of different stuff, you know, their kids, everything, and just really being able to get to know the guys. And, and they, by the end of that tournament, I had achieved a lot of buy-in. And I think that translated over to the season. Once we got back to Minnesota and had a the fixture congestion and, Um, you know, I think it it really helped me be successful with the team, especially considering I was having to do three jobs. Um, the guys really got to understand like, Hey, you know, I'm pulling a lot of weight here and, 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 you know, they, they appreciated it and they appreciated all the time I was able to give to them. Um, and I think I'd like to think that the success I was able to get with the buy-in with the players from a performance side, you know, contributed on some small level to the success that we had overall in the season. And making the semifinal and you know being five minutes away from mls cup final so um, I, I think that that is what i've really taken from my time in the private sector
0: love it love it um at the end of the day the athletes got to know like and trust you um with that trust you know you're getting 100 percent out of them so that's
1: exactly. great
0: exactly Adam. i appreciate you coming on and sharing some of your perspectives today and look forward to following minnesota for this uh, upcoming season thanks for coming on
1: yeah thank you so much i appreciate it
0: i appreciate you bye bye This episode is released just a couple of days prior to the first day of preseason for MLS teams, actually. So Adam is going to have his hands full next week working with Minnesota United. MLS, day one of preseason is set for the 8th of March, and the first weekend or first games will be the 17th of April. So he's going to have a busy couple of weeks ahead in store for himself. Big thanks to Adam for coming on during uh, the off season and kind of explaining how we got from the private setting into um, working with Minnesota United Football Club. You can follow Adam on Instagram and on LinkedIn as well. Feel free to add him as a friend on Instagram. It's A Power Fitness, A P A R R Fitness. LinkedIn is Adam C Power. Talk to you guys soon.